Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 30, The Pensieve, today. And for this chapter, we have Elizabeth. Hello, everyone. Now, uh, I will say that Elizabeth specifically requested this chapter. I love this chapter. So we'll find out why as we go here. Some of it will be non-spoilery, some of it will be spoilery. So (laughs) deal with that as we go. But before we get into the chapter, I wanted to shout out uh, several people. We have a lot of shout outs to do today. (laughs) We've been growing quite a bit. We have been growing. And, you know, that's thanks to everybody that's finding us and listening to us. Or sharing us with other people. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Uh, And to help spread the podcast, all you got to do is retweet or give us reviews likes comments all that kind of good stuff um that really goes a long way in kind of spreading this out but uh the shout outs that we have today some from our very first episode way back when (laughs) which seems like forever ago i think people realize they can comment on it and now it's like let's comment on the first episode and we're getting a lot of comments on the first episode which is fine uh we have (laughs) e hayes who says, I love Harry Potter. I think this podcast is wonderful, and it's very uh, it's full of Harry Potter facts that I never even knew. Aw. That's cool. I hope we have some more facts today to share with you. I honestly can't remember what I said in the first episode at this point. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm hoping you stick with us uh, and you kind of pick up some other little tidbits. I know we've had some yeah. really interesting conversations, so hopefully you're listening to this at some point. <laughs> Uh, we had Natalia, who, who just said, it's amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank, <laughs> thank you for the comment. Uh, I am going to try to pronounce this the best that I can, so apologies if I get it wrong. But uh, Anitha Matheson uh, said, it's very uh, it's very nice, and I love Harry Potter, so I heard it, and it was amazing. Yay. We love all the amazing comments. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we got Quinn Bridges. Who's also said it was amazing? <laughs> All caps with amazing. Okay. Are we amazing? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we got hashtag gamer girl, who said I loved it. You guys are great and got me back into the series. Oh, fun! That's a really cool thing. I think this podcast has gotten all of us back into the series in one form or another. Uh, I mean, the... definitely you. You hadn't read it in a long. I time. haven't read it in a while. Uh, I'm getting closer to my yearly reread. Yeah, but even then, even if you do read it every year, I think doing this podcast has really opened up our eyes to different ways. Yeah, which is fun. Which is awesome. <laughs> uh, so that, those were our first episode comments. And then we got one on a more recent episode, chapter 27 of Goblet of Fire. Ooh. So very recent. Um, and it was, you know, Padfoot Returns was the chapter title. And... Hermione Granger's number one fan (laughs) gave us a comment and uh, they said, loved it. You guys are so awesome. So uh, that's really cool. It's really cool to see all of the interaction coming in and 
uh, I really can't overemphasize how awesome it is to get that feedback from you guys. So keep it coming. <laughs> Love it. You guys are keeping him going. He wanted to end after the first book, and we said no. <laughs> it. This is a lot of work, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Putting this production together is a lot more work than it seems. So much fun, though. Uh, if you're another podcaster, you get what I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> so this chapter... Um, Pensy. I know you requested it, Elizabeth, but... Yes, I did. I also really enjoy this chapter, <laughs> and, and we'll get into it. Quick rundown of what happens in the chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, we kick off right where we left off in the last chapter with Harry at the doorstep of... Dumbledore's office about ready to go in. At the Gryffindor? At the Gryffindor, <laughs> yes. Uh, that, wow, that's an old one that I brought back. Um, and then he obviously gets invited in, and there's some discussion about going to see the grounds, which leaves Harry alone in Dumbledore's office. Can I comment real quickly on something Dumbledore did that I absolutely loved? When sure. he was talking to Fudge and like Harry pretended, he was like, there's no point in pretending that I didn't just overhear literally every word that you just said. And Harry was like, yeah, I don't think it was Madame Maxine. She would have a hard time hiding. And Dumbledore behind Fudge just has this little smile on his face. It's such a slight little thing. And you can totally tell he 100% approves of what Harry just said. And Fudge is like embarrassed by it. And is like, he only children can call out that racism, that prejudice in that way, and really make sure. you feel ashamed of it. So I I love that that happened, and Dumbledore clearly does too. Yeah, no, it was a really good point out uh, from from Harry. He just kind of went for it. Yeah. Uh, which again, putting this into context for just a second, he just said that to the Minister of, of Magic. Magic. <laughs> so while it's clearly the obviously the right thing to do and right. a very cool thing to do. You're putting an Not adult everybody's in doing that. Place, and it's a very, very, very important adult. Not everybody's doing that. I think that's yeah. a thing that Harry specifically, you know, part of him there. Yeah. But anyway, really quick. Uh, we then get into the, the, the pensive of it all mm -hmm. after they leave and explore the grounds and Harry's left alone in the office, <laughs> uh, which we will double back on. And believe me, we'll discuss that. <laughs> Dumbledore eventually returns to the office, finds Harry, and then a pretty interesting discussion ensues. Yeah. because That's the chapter. So. Yeah. Okay, I, there's there's a lot of the Pensieve that I'll talk about more in the spoiler as to, like, oh, just why, why I so love much? it so much. Of all of my favorite magical items, like, the Pensieve is the number one thing that I've always wanted. Time Turner would probably be number two, right up there next to it. But there's just something about the magic of the Pensieve that is just so appealing to me. Um... The pensive basically, it's a stone basin where you have this, I mean, when Harry looks at it, there's a silverly white kind of sparkly essence that's in it. He calls it light made liquid or wind made solid. Which he couldn't is decide. so intriguing to it's me. It's a cool description. And we know that it's memories, memories that are being stored here for safekeeping, for further examination. And Harry, of course, sticks his wand in it because he knows sticking your finger into a weird substance is not a smart thing to do. Which he acknowledges. Like, right. hey, I've known at this point that I shouldn't just be, like, like <laughs> touch it. dipping anything into a potential potion or right. whatever's going on here. So he's learned. Kind of. He's learned kind of. Kind of. He's, he's now, he's, 
like we talked about like first year or what was it? First year stupid or first year first dumb. year dumb, second year stupid, third year thick. It's a, he's a fourth year fool. Fourth guys. year fool. He he is because he sticks his wand in, which okay, better sure. But what basically ensues is him getting sucked into the pensieve. So this this magical item allows you to examine memories in a much more immersive uh, environment. And he gets pulled into a trial. Yeah. Dumbledore's memories. Uh, you mentioned that this is a really cool magical object. Mm -hmm. uh, I just... Part of that scene setting, mm -hmm. before Harry actually delves into this, this setting, is you get several magical objects that he notes in the room first. Right. He, he notes... Uh, obviously, the, the portraits on the wall, which are their own magical objects. they're object. all asleep at this point. <laughs> Again. Quote, unquote, asleep. <laughs> but we can get, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the sorting hat, which in itself can be considered quite a magic, quite a powerful magical object. Gryffindor's it's, sword is in there. And he, the he's sword. He's very of, proud of seeing that again. Sword of Gryffindor, which obviously he's aware of because of his events in the Chamber of Secrets. Mm -hmm. Also, Fox is sitting there. Right. And he, has, he has a little uh, interaction with Fox, which is cool. So he he ends up getting sucked into this uh, pensive slash memory, mm -hmm. and it's a scene of a room that's got two hundred witches and wizards around the center, mm -hmm. and they're all focused in on this one chair sitting in the center of the room. And Dumbledore's there, as is Moody. And Dumbledore being there is the only reason why he realizes this is a dream because he's like Dumbledore would not ignore me. And I'm basically waving in front of his face, screaming his name. And he also points to a previous time when he happened to delve into a memory, which was with... Tom Riddle. Tom Riddle's diary. His so diary. he actually recognized this environment, for lack of a better term. Yeah, who would have thought Voldemort would have given him these life skills? Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, so we end up learning that Karkaroff is not exactly on trial per se, but he's here to give evidence. He's been in Azkaban. They pulled him from Azkaban because he wants to try to cut a deal. If he has names that are new names of Death Eaters, then he can maybe get a reduced sentence or, you know, get out of Azkaban would be nice. There's a couple of things with Karkaroff here that I want to just point out. Mm -hmm. uh, a, he take note that he uses the term Dark Lord. Yeah. Which tells you where his allegiances at least have led. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so ingrained that he's now calling him the Dark Lord, which we only see certain characters refer to Voldy in that right. in that sense. Moody has two eyes, two normal eyes here. <laughs> uh, but it took he Moody states because he's sitting on the other side of Dumbledore. He states that it took six months to yeah, catch Carker. Track him down. Which, as we've learned about Moody, he is a albeit eccentric but formidable character mm -hmm. so that the idea that it took him six months to find and catch karkaroff kudos to karkaroff for at least i will say he, being on the run. he definitely has the like survival mentality because i mean i put in my notes how he struck me as so weak and my mentality my my thought process with that was like okay clearly he went to voldemort because voldemort was the most powerful wizard of the moment and he thought he can protect me Kind of similar with Wormtail. But now that Voldemort has fallen, then it's, oh, well, I got to get back into the good graces of society. So I will confess and get onto their good side. It's like, he's just going to do whatever it takes to be, you know, out of prison and whatnot. Uh, I disagree with you. Okay, why? I, I don't think this scene is Karkaroff being weak, per se. Mm -hmm. Desperate, yes. 
Uh, I think he desperately wants to be out of Azkaban. Uh, that is true. I don't think he's weak for one reason. Uh, it's, I think, common knowledge, as we find out a little later in this whole dream sequence, that everybody assumes Voldy is still out there somewhere. Mm. He still exists. It's not like he's knowingly dead. Right. Everybody seems to believe that the possibility of Voldy coming back is possible. Well, some more, some supporters more than others. Sure. Yeah. But it's not like uh, any of these witches or wizards in here are like, oh yeah, he's he's dead and gone. So the idea that Karkaroff is willing to give names and denounce, he's, I think he specifically uses the word denounce his... Voldemort, yeah. Voldemort and his allegiance and he's done with it and whatever. Those are big words. <laughs> that are that have very clear and undeniable meanings, which is his purpose here. He, he wants to por- paint a portrait so he can get out of Azkaban. All right, I'll adjust my wording. I'll go with desperate as opposed to weak. Okay, I will accept <laughs> desperate. I will accept desperate. But, but the idea is like, when you go out on a limb like that, there's yeah, no returning no, it, from it, that. Yeah, but which is why I think he's like, he's only at that point because he knows like, uh, Voldemort's not as powerful as he once was. Yeah, no, for sure. He's here to give evidence against other Death Eaters. Mm-hmm. And he does give some important notes. Uh, for example, he says, only Voldy himself knew who every single Death Eater was. Right. Which is an important thing to take note of. I have that in my spoiler section. Okay. We can get a little bit more into it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you and I have specifically had this conversation before, actually. Possibly. We've had a lot of Harry Potter conversations. We've had a lot of (laughs) both on and off of the podcast, so we can get more into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But he he ends up going with some certain names he thinks will get him uh, reduced or hopefully completely free sentence from Um, Here's some of the names that he gives off. Um, Anna will hate me right out out the gate because her favorite Death Eater is the first one he names, (laughs) and that's Antonin Dolohoff. Uh, who, who, if you've been listening to our full podcast, you know I've mentioned him from time to time. Uh, he was, but Crouch, who's doing the interrogation, Barty Crouch Sr. is doing this whole in- investigation, and he mentions that Dolohoff was actually caught shortly after Karkaroff was. So that's a name crossed off the potential list. Mm-hmm. Karkaroff mentions Evan Rozier is the next name, and Crouch says that Rozier was killed, Moody then puts in his two cents of, yeah, took a chunk of my nose with him. Yeah. So you get the idea that Moody then killed Rozier in in uh, some sort of fight as he was tracking down some Death Eaters post-fall of Voldy. Uh, then Karkaroff mentions Travers, who helped kill the McKinnons. Uh, but Crouch then shoots that down as well, saying he was caught. Mm-hmm. Mulciber is uh, the next name. Igor mentions that he was, Mulciber was an Imperious Curse Specialist, which is kind of a cool thing, honestly. I mean, it takes a certain kind of person to do that to enough people to it's be considered a specialist. It's interesting that it's like, that they even have that, yeah. that it's like, this is your niche. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. But Crouch shoots that one down as well, saying he was also caught. Right. Uh, then Augustus Rookwood is 
Um, the next name he brings up, and like you said, spy at the Ministry of Magic and the Department of Mysteries, uh, which does cause a stir in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, lastly... Probably most interestingly to <laughs> Harry. To Harry and <laughs> to all of us reading this book, mm-hmm. Severus Snape is a name that was dropped. Yeah. And cleared Crouch, by Crouch states that he was cleared by the council uh, because Albus Dumbledore specifically vouched for him. as a, uh, And we learned that he was a double agent that put himself in a line of harm at great personal risk. Right. And that's why Albus vouched for him. So that's an interesting background on Snape, which we will get into more later. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's just the... the first memory. It goes right into the second memory yep. of another character we know well by this point, Ludo Bagman. Now, this is more of an actual trial. It is. Kinda. The setup of it is a trial because he was brought in for a crime. Yeah. I mean, there there seems to be They more... don't take it seriously. but it... <laughs> No, there seems to be much more participation, but more admiration from the the members of the, the audience here. I think we both clearly noticed that there is a clear bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's special treatment for a, for lack of a better term, celebrity. For a, yeah, I think it's a fair term for him. He's for, a celebrity. He's obviously a star athlete for England at the time of this trial. And right. he just, just came off of a particularly impressive performance. Right. So the room is quite taken with him. But he is on trial for a reason. He was caught giving sensitive information to Voldemort supporters. And Specifically, though, Rookwood. Um, who right? So Rookwood, as you mentioned, worked for the Ministry, mm-hmm. and this whole nutshell was—it's essentially a quid pro quo. Right. You give up. me information, I get you a job at the Ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So, which Crouch was like, God forbid he ever <laughs> work at the Ministry. Well, Ludo Bagman mentions, I think himself, that he's like, I'm kind of an idiot sometimes. Yeah. And I think. And Mo- this idiot belongs in the ministry. I, well, I think Moody mentions that he's taken maybe one too many hits to the head of the bludger. <laughs> Here's the important thing to note about this Ludo Bagman trial is that he was caught passing information. Okay, that's right. that's a fact that did happen. And the idea that he genuinely believed Rookwood was legit mm-hmm. is fair. And that's plausible, especially considering the reaction of the entire room when uh, Augustus Rookwood's name was mentioned. Right. Everybody was like, oh. He's been acting very well. So, long story short, Ludo Bagman gets free from this. <laughs> he even gets a round of applause. <laughs> so, I'm, I, so, to be honest, I'm a little in between here. Mm. I, <laughs> the year in Azkaban or whatever Crouch was proposing... Mm-hmm. Is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot. I don't think you could really put that on Bagman. That being said, you did technically pass information. There should be some punishment here. Like, I don't think you should just get off scot-free. I wonder if he does. I mean, like, I know he's been clear or whatever, but I wonder if there's, like, a fine he has to pay or something. And maybe or, or maybe, like, delayed entrance to the ministry when he does try to do it, you know? I don't know. It seemed like he got off pretty scot-free, but... Yeah. Anyway, so we move to the third trial, and this this is a trial trial. This right. is a very serious trial. You get four people at once 
And Which is I, interesting. I just love how these memories go one, from one into the next into the next. It just reminds me of Netflix being like, are you still watching? It's just <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to keep playing. Next memory, next memory. Because, I mean, Harry doesn't know how to get out of the pen's eve. It's just, let's watch. Who would want to? This has been interesting. It's so really interesting. Yeah. This last one, especially. So you get four people. Uh, one is described as a thick set man. One is a thinner, more nervous looking man. The third is a dark haired woman. With heavily hooded eyes. Heavily hooded eyes. And mm-hmm. the fourth one is, seems to be a boy in his late teens. He looks petrified. Yes. And we get to find out a little bit about at least two of these characters really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boy in his late teens uh, immediately starts uh, screaming for his father, screaming for his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn that... I didn't. I didn't. I swear. Don't send me back to the Dementors. This is the son of Barty Crouch. Yeah. This is who we this heard. This is Junior. This is who we heard a little bit uh, ago with Barty Crouch Sr.'s dazed, lucid yet not lucid rambling as he came out of the forest. This is the son that he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And we learn a little bit about the dark-haired woman who, on her exit from the chamber, screams, the Dark Lord will rise again. He'll release us all from Azkaban. Oh, you want the exact quote? I have it. The Dark Lord will rise again, Crouch. Throw us in Azkaban. We will wait. He will rise again and will come for us. He will reward us beyond any of his other supporters. We alone were faithful. We alone tried to find him. Yep. Like, dang, this woman's making a prophecy kind of, you know? The other two men seem quite quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, yeah, meh, whatever. whatever. Uh, So what they're being accused of. Is horrific. Is horrific. The four of them are being accused of capturing and torturing an oar by the name of Frank Longbottom, mm-hmm. uh, believing he had info on the whereabouts of Voldy after his fall. Uh, they specifically used the Cruciatus curse on Frank's wife when Frank would not give up info on Voldy. The potential sentence for this is life in Azkaban for it. Yeah. Is what they're going for. And unlike the Ludo Bagman trial... Everybody seems to be a resounding yes, send them away mm-hmm. uh, without much of uh, much of a debate, really. And it's emotional. I mean, like the kids say, you know, a father, I, I was involved with your son. And he's like, you are no son of mine. I have no son. And his wife is right there, Crouch's wife. And she, I mean, she fainted. She is devastated by this. And I mean, makes sense. What mother wants to see their child get sentenced to life in prison by their father you know so uh, of these three trials mm-hmm. or three scenes i guess that we get the memories but yeah what do you what do you really take out of it is there anything specific that you get from it that you're like wow that was really intriguing i think if anything it illustrates how with war the aftermath can sometimes be just as devastating as the war or I guess like the effects of it aren't just done once one person's taken out or one battle is completed or whatever. Like people are still suffering from it. You still have to sort out who was loyal versus who has broken the the law and you know, who did horrific things that deserve punishment to to help society heal. Um, but in that healing process there's a lot of pain. Yeah. I think some of the things I took away 
specifically, I'm I'm a nerd, so I mm-hmm. liked the rundown of names. Yeah. Uh, from from Karkaroff, and you kind of get to put. You get to fill out the world of Harry Potter a little bit more by getting some of these names in. And what they did, you get to attach. Well, then it's it's fun, too, because it's like, oh, obviously the Wizarding World existed before Harry existed. So it's fun to see the past and see characters we know in the past just living their lives and going about their business without worrying about Harry. Um, I like the Ludo Bagman tri- uh, trial. Uh, I thought it was just an interesting retrospective on celebrities mm-hmm. and how they can kind of skirt away from maybe some penalties just because they have a name, a recognizable mm-hmm. name. Also that he was involved with a uh, potential nefarious activity, whether knowingly or not. Right. It's just kind of an interesting thing. Right. And then lastly, with that uh, third trial, we can get a little bit more into that in the spoiler section <laughs> if we choose because there's a lot here actually there's a lot the idea that they do four people at once i feel like is interesting well, i guess is it's this just, just a page saver that or it's because it's the same crime you know maybe there's not much of a defense here no. uh like none actually yeah not that the dark-haired woman seems to care at all no i mean they said she was sitting on the seat like it was a throne and she's yeah. she's more than willing to go to azkaban for for voldemort the other two men seem to be resigned to their fate um and i do want to talk a little bit more about the son of mr crouch in the spoiler section and I want to talk about a quote Dumbledore says, but that's very spoiler too. So. Fair enough. You're just going to have to stick around for the spoilers, people. It's <laughs> a very spoiler-heavy chapter. <laughs> anyway, we get uh, the scenes wrap up as Dumbledore like pops into the memory and takes Well, Dumbledore is like, hey, I think we've spent enough time in the past. Let's go back to the present. Um, Dumbledore said, you know, I sometimes find, and I'm sure you know the feeling, that I simply have too many thoughts and memories crammed into my head. And that is when he uses the pensieve to try to sort through his thoughts and make some connections between them, try to, you know, look at them from a more outside perspective and, and take a second glance, I the, guess. The quote he specifically says is, I simply have too many thoughts and memories crammed into my mind. And then he goes to place the tip of his wand near his temple. Mm-hmm. And a silvery white substance attached to the wand uh, gets added to the pensive. He picks up the pensive. It's like like we said earlier. It's a it's a shallow basin. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's decorated and adorned mm-hmm. on its placement, but it's a shallow basin. So he picks it up, puts it on his desk, and he keeps adding more and more and more and more to the, it. The more Harry and him talk, <laughs> he keeps adding different memories. Which I would love this technology, but again, we'll get there in spoilers. We we can get into the specifics, the pros and cons of this, but now Harry did have a, a very good question as he was, you know, watching Dumbledore add more and more to the Pensieve. He wanted to know, like, um, I gotta find exactly where it was. He said, "Do you know why my scar is hurting me?" And Dumbledore he looked very intently at Harry for a moment. And then he said his theory, essentially, that it hurts when Voldemort's near or Voldemort is feeling very strong surges of hate. So Harry and Voldemort are connected by their by his scar, which Harry's, you know, not thrilled by that. But he was also saying, you know, it seems like it's hurting more frequently, more often. I mean, this is what, the second time that it's really, second or third time that it's really, like, affected him. And he said how prior to Voldemort's rising the first time, there were 
mysterious, you know, missings of people. And sure enough, we've got a missing persons list of Bertha Jorkins and Mr. Crouch and Frank Bryce, who we saw in the very, very, very first chapter. Um, and how, like, you know, things got more and more suspicious. The, the calm before the storm, the calm is very quickly dissipating here. And Dumbledore seems to be one of the few people really paying attention. So there's a lot of info that Albus is dumping, which is a rare moment in the series when Albus seems to be an open book of sorts. Well, it's also a rare moment in the series when Harry seeks out Dumbledore and be like, hey, this just happened to me. Sure. <laughs> now, he has been doing, in all fairness to Harry, he's been doing a much better job, as we've talked about in Goblet yeah. of Fire in this book, about seeking out that help when it's Needed. clearly warranted. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, this is a first instance of Albus just being like, no, I will give you a lot here. I wonder if just because he has so much on his mind right now. Yeah. The information Albus gives is both direct and indirect. You've mentioned some of the direct, direct info he gives with why his scar might be hurting, mm. what that connection is to Voldy. The, the indirect stuff is what's swirling around from his memories in the Pensieve during this entire conversation. Right. Harry sees uh, Snape mm -hmm. and says, and Snape in the memories is saying, quote, it's coming back. Igor is too. Stronger and clearer than ever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's kind of wiped away. And then there's another memory of a young Bertha Jorkin speaking to Albus. Talking about spying on somebody, kissing somebody else. Right. And, you know, gossip. Yeah, just kind of a conversation. I think she was hexed because of it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But, you know, Harry notes both of these before they kind of get into the whole scar hurting thing. Mm -hmm. And Dumbledore has a really interesting comment to Harry when he sees Harry's paying attention to what's actually in the Pensieve. And I... You can hate on Michael Gambon's version of Dumbledore all you want, but I do have that quote in his voice in my head from the movie. Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but we should exercise caution with our curiosity. Hey, it's almost like from the intro of our episode. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a really cool quote. It is. And it's valid. Such a Dumbledore quote, too. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so you get a little bit of that from the Pensieve. We also got some information about Neville. And oh my gosh, um, so sad, right? He said how, you know, has Neville never told you why he's been brought up by his grandmother? And Harry's, you know, he's like, no, I've actually never thought about that. Nobody has. Nobody has asked Neville why he's been raised by his grandmother. And he's like, yeah, Neville's parents, Frank and his wife, they are insane. They are in St. Mungo's. They don't recognize Neville. He visits them over the holidays, but they have been tortured into an insanity. So, so here's the thing about that. I don't think anybody asks Neville about it. Well, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't volunteer. That doesn't that bother Malfoy at all. Malfoy would bring it up if he wanted to. Uh, Malfoy doesn't look at Neville and think, oh, I need to poke into his life. My point is they all know it. The ones that are in the magical world are probably well aware. I don't know. They're aware, aware though. Frank was an auror, and this yeah, was a, this was the Ministry of Magic you're trial. Also, what you're forgetting though is like, yes, their their parents would know it, but I don't necessarily think the parents are saying, "Hey, that person you go to school with, his parents were tortured into insanity." You know, like, I feel like kids they like kids notice a lot, sure, but they also have these blind spots sometimes, and I Maybe. think when it's 
when it's with your peers trying to fit in and not be like the outcast, like you're not. I'm not saying every kid would know it nor care to know it. But maybe some of them ha- have. Maybe to. a handful of them have been smart enough to think like, oh, Neville. Now, oh, Longbottom. Oh, but... They I, all grew up in the magical... I, I don't I, know. I, I, just, just, I think that a lot of them are just oblivious. <laughs> Teenagers are oblivious. I don't know that we're giving enough credit to, like, if you grow up in a magical world, that's new. That's big news. That's got to be in The Prophet. That's got to be, like, other things. Yeah, but Four it was people also, sentenced for the torture of Frank what, Longbottom. 13 like, years ago, right? Yeah. 13. But these kids I mean, I are talked 14. To my, I talked to my students about, like... 9-11, and because they weren't alive during that time, they're just like, meh. I don't know. You're you're going to school with the kid. Everybody, I get Harry Potter is a particularly famous person. I get that. Yeah. But everybody knows every detail of that kid's life. But I don't think Neville, because of who Neville is, I don't think he presents himself in a way that people want to look more into his life. I think they're just like, oh, there's that dorky kid, and they just go about their days. No one sees the pain that he's been through because they're just self-centered as teenagers are. And that's just the physical thing. That's that's where their brains are meant, like, in their development. I don't know. I just, I think it'd be a little bit more common knowledge. But I don't think there's any reason Hermione or Harry would know. Right. Ron maybe, sh- Ron maybe should. Ron probably should. But he probably of... doesn't just, well, he probably should. He might not have put two and two together. Because I feel like he doesn't necessarily always have the best tact. He, he probably would have mentioned it by now. Anyway, we can get off the Neville, <laughs> Neville train for just a second. Regardless, it makes me cry and I feel a bit so bad for him. Um, there's a couple of other things that go on here. Obviously, as soon as Harry started talking about Snape and prying about Snape, Albus was very forthcoming on a lot of things during this conversation. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Harry started prodding on Snape, Albus answered his question, but then shut down this whole, I think they called it an interview. Yeah, he said, what made you think he'd really he'd really stopped supporting Voldemort, Professor? Dumbledore held Harry's gaze for a few seconds and then said, that, Harry, is a matter between Professor Snape and myself. Yep. And thus ends that discussion, and thus ends <laughs> Our the chapter. Discussion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so there was a lot going on in this chapter, and we have a lot to discuss in the spoiler section. So we're going to cut it down here for the non-spoilers. <laughs> uh, so please come back for the spoiler section, where we have a ton to discuss. Kill the stag! Alright, so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 30, The Pensieve. And just doubling back really quick on some things that we talked about from the non-spoiler section, uh, very quickly, those four that were in the trial weren't actually named. We have a lot of names <laughs> from this chapter, but they weren't specifically named. No. So here's who those four were. Uh, obviously, the dark-haired woman is Bellatrix. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. That's obvious. Now, the, and obviously the one in the late teen is Barty Crouch Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I do want to talk about Barty Crouch Jr. in this scene in a second. The other two men, uh, one was Rodolphus uh, Lestrange, the husband of Bellatrix. Mm-hmm. And the other one was, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, uh, Rabastan? 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 Your guess is as good as mine. R-A-B-A-S-T-A-N Lestrange. <laughs> I believe that's the brother of Rodolphus, if I'm not mistaken. 
So you have two estranged men and the wife of Rodolphus, who is Bellatrix, who seems to be quite the individual. Uh, <laughs> shocking. Um, Very proud of where she's at. Really quick on Barty Crouch Jr. Mm -hmm. in this scene. It's an interesting take on Barty Crouch. He, we've talked a lot about Barty Crouch Jr. on this podcast already. Right. And he comes off so convincingly here, I feel like. Barty Crouch Jr.? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he does make it seem like you should have total pity for him and didn't do it, didn't do it, swear it, didn't do it, don't put me back in jail, don't let, don't let him, mother. So here's one of two things. Either he's being genuine mm. and trying to get out of Azkaban, mm -hmm. which, look, Azkaban can do some stuff to you, <laughs> okay? So I, I don't think it's fair to immediately discount him as genuinely wanting to get out of Azkaban and doing whatever he can to get out of there. But at the same time, he's sitting next to three members of the Lestrange family who are notorious Voldy supporters to the nth degree. If he's being genuine, do you think they're sitting there being like, this sellout? Or do they, or do you think they specifically know, like, no, 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 this is just an act. He's one of us. They might know it's an act. I... I more lean towards the third option of he's a teenager who's been caught and is going to try to lie his way out of it. As you well know, I have to deal with on a daily basis with my students. It's a weird, it's a weird thing because his version of that is different from Karkaroff's. Right. So it could be, it could be that of, uh, he's not a child here. He's in his late teens. So he's like 18, 19. I think Still when, young. I think Sirius mentions he was like 19. 19. So... Young, mm -hmm. but an adult. He mm -hmm. very easily knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. So, But even Karkaroff, still, you get caught and your immediate thought is like, I'm going to lie to get out of it. Sure, but him and Karkaroff have two different ways of trying to get out of this. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Karkaroff is not related to the man putting him like in Azkaban. Well, I think that's also part of it. Like, if the Lestranges do know it's an act, well... They would know of all the people likely to stay out of jail to then go find Voldemort. Who else better to do it than someone who's related to the judge, you know? Maybe. And maybe they, you know, figured he has the best shot of maybe getting out of here. Yeah. Of, of the four of them. But um, it's an interesting foursome to be put on trial at the same time. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's calculated by Barty Crouch Sr. because we know he is... Some kind of heartless. Well, that and I was thinking he he's in a lose lose situation. I mean, if he he lost everything on this. Well, yeah, but regardless of what he could do, he would lose. If he had gone lenient on his son, and it was he was obviously involved. The public outrage of you know you're you're doing special treatment because he's your blood. That's not going to look good politically. Um, we know politically this backfired on him because people were like, your nice son went bad like this? You must not be spending enough time at home. Like, you don't get to be Minister of Magic. But it's like, if he had gone even harder, like, the backlash would have been even worse. So it's like, regardless of what he did, he, he was not going to Are you win. surprised that some of these trials of Death Eaters, and I and I get some tried to run 
mm-hmm. or fight their way out of it, and those individuals wound up dead at the hand of Orr's mm-hmm. uh, attacks, like Rosier and and um, all of them, all the ones you mentioned earlier. Yeah, some of them fought their way out of it, like Rosier. But aren't you surprised that the, some of the ones that got caught weren't just put to death? Well, yes and no. Because Bellatrix should have probably just been killed, right? Shouldn't she have gotten a death penalty, not a life sentence? I think that there was probably the thought of, if we just kill them, we're no better than Voldemort. So the better thing to do would be let them rot in Azkaban. The The other counterpoint is, is that the better thing to do? Or is that the more cruel thing to do? I would argue it's more cruel to send the Azkaban and Well, kill. then. One last thing. I just want... It's not really a, a spoiler, per se, but I did want to double back on it mm-hmm. real quick. When you mentioned the list of missing people that Dumbledore went through, mm-hmm. Bertha Jorkins, Mr. Crouch himself, uh, Barty Crouch Sr., uh, Bart- Bartinius Crouch mm-hmm. Sr., and Frank Bryce, a key thing to mention about that is, obviously, Dumbledore knows about uh, Bertha and Crouch because of the prophet. Right. He knew about Frank Bryce because he's paying attention not only to the prophet, but to muggle, muggle newspapers yeah. and info that way, which I find is stellar. We had all of this uh, debate uh, a couple of chapters ago about why doesn't Hermione get a prophet? Why doesn't Harry maybe have a, a subscription to the prophet? Here, Dumbledore has got a subscription to apparently everything. <laughs> And, you know, we've joked in the past about him having his ear to the ground. Well, he really has his ear to the ground if he's coming through, like, muggle uh, missing persons reports. Which I wonder if he's always on that or if that's been a more recent habit, knowing, like, I mean, he knows about dreams because Sirius told him that Harry was having dreams. I wonder if, like, he when mentions, this first started. He mentions that he's been more attuned to it. Like, mm-hmm. it's it wouldn't... None of this about Harry Scar surprises him mm-hmm. because events have started to build yeah. the way it, it used to. Yeah. So maybe you're right in that maybe this is a more recent last couple of years. Like, I should probably keep track of this and just see if anything weird comes up. But, but we also know he likes knitting patterns in Muggle magazines, so maybe he, he's always done it. I do think he's taken a particular note of Frank Bryce because of just where he... Oh, who he sure. is I'm and sure where he works. I'm sure it was red flag score. Right. So, anyway. Um, yes, you have a whole thing on Azkaban that I will let you... Yeah, so in one of the trials, I forget which one it was, um, the Dementors have been present for most of these trials. I don't think you, they were there for Ludo's, but for the other two they were. And Dumbledore was talking to Moody and said, I have long felt the Ministry is wrong to ally itself with such creatures, aka the Dementors, which I've never thought about this before but i really want to know like why did the ministry decide to ally with dementors and when the heck did that happen so i went to wizarding world and i did a whole deep dive on azkaban which was really interesting so the history of it it started off in the 15th century it was home to this sadistic wizard whose name i'm going to butcher 
Ekrizdis, yeah. I, I guess. E-K-R-I-Z-D-I-S. Yeah, basically he would lure muggles to his island to torture them and kill them, which being an English teacher very much reminded me of the short story, The Most Dangerous Game, where essentially they just hunt humans. It reminds me a little bit of H.H. H. Holmes. Like he built his own murder castle. Yeah. Like this is a serial killer. This is a wizard serial killer. Yeah. So when he died, all of the protective spells that he had placed over his home, his fortress, uh, obviously expired. So the ministry found his home and they discovered it was horrific. It was completely infested with dementors and that like minister, the ministry officials who had gone, they came back just like traumatized. So they were like, we should totally destroy this place. We (laughs) need them to be gone. But they discovered Dementors are actually really hard to kill, if not impossible to kill. And they feared that the island itself is so seeped in dark magic that it would retaliate on them somehow. Or even worse, the Dementors would spread off the island and go to the mainland. So once the International Statue of Security uh, Secrecy was passed, the the ministry decided we can't have the small wizard prisons all over the place. We need to have one larger facility that can be hidden away from the muggles. So uh, the minister at the time, Damocles Raul, he was an anti-muggle sadist. Um, He decided to scrape the plans to build a facility underground and instead was like, no, 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 we're going to take this island, this this Azkaban, and we're going to transform it into a prison with the Dementors being the guards. Um, So 15 years later, uh, Eldrick Diggory, so yes, Cedric's ancestor, he became minister and he was the first one since to go out looking at the conditions of Azkaban and he was horrified. He said how like the place would basically drip with the dark magic and the despair and the Dementors clung to it and so he was like we need to close this place. This is this is not a way to treat people even if they are criminals. We need to remove the Dementors. But once again, people feared that if you remove the souls for them to feed on, they're going to look for souls on the mainland. And we don't want that. So we have to keep Azkaban open just to keep the Dementors there. So and from him all the way until Kingsley, no minister ever once again considered like removing the Dementors from Azkaban. They just went with it. They turned their blind eyes. And they said it took 300 years for the very first escape from Azkaban, which was Barty Crouch Jr., which we know only because of the help of his father. Uh, the second, of course, was our good friend Sirius Black. And then the third uh, happens next year with the mass breakouts of the Death Eaters, thanks to Voldemort. So uh, after Voldemort passed, after the second Wizarding World was done, Kingsley finally did take Dumbledore's advice. He purged Azkaban of the Dementors, and he replaced them with Aurors. And there has not been a breakout since. Great history. Great deep dive on Azkaban. <laughs> really, really interesting stuff. I liked a lot of it. Uh, I do have a couple of comments on it. Uh, you mentioned the history with Diggory, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And uh, I'll double back on that in a second. What I want to say is first, with Kingsley purging the Dementors, mm-hmm. uh, I get after the Battle of Hogwarts, uh, Dementors saw reduced numbers. Mm-hmm but not eliminated. Mm-hmm. So what exactly do you think was purging the Dementors from Azkaban, meaning like, do you think it's necessarily the right decision? I would think so, because I'm one of those people where 
I don't care how horrific your crimes are. I don't, I'll take that back. I'm, I'm sure there's a line where I feel like it's too horrific, but in general, I feel like keeping someone alive is the right decision as opposed to just like the death penalty. So I think that having the Dementors there continuing the torture is like a living death and it's better to have horrors there to kind of to rehabilitate them, I guess. Here's my thing. Can. Here's my thing. Uh, Azkaban, as it's designed, is is there for the worst mm-hmm. of the worst. And for if they get the... I guess what it boils down to is like, if you've already lost your freedom, you don't have to also then lose your mind. Here's my thing, though, is dementors are dementors. Mm-hmm. You just, you mentioned... In your deep dive that they are extremely hard, if not completely impossible, to kill. If you're going to have these creatures exist, whether you want them to or not, (laughs) maybe it's better to keep them here in Azkaban versus letting them... Like, what are you doing? Are you corralling them? If you don't have them all... If they don't have something to feed upon... Then they're going to go looking for Even after the downfall of Voldemort, that's not going to keep despair... From existing, yeah, like people but, are gonna be. But they, I think that after Voldemort, the greed that they would have had, based on the freedom that Voldemort would have given them, they're gonna run rampant, and it'd probably be better to maybe just get as many wizards as possible with very very strong Patronuses and just knock them out. Patronus is not an easy spell to learn. Though. It's not. That's why they need like everyone they can get. <laughs> Uh, my my point is generally like if there was a spot to keep them, I think it was the right decision to keep them in this particular spot. It's the most effective and safe for your general population. You can make this into a poll. Do you think Azkaban should have Dementors or no? Or ors? Yeah. But the other issue is just logistically, mm. <laughs> and this is me being my Ravenclaw mind. But logistically speaking, if Kingsley is the one to do this once he becomes Minister of Magic post-Fall of Voldy 2 and mm-hmm. the Battle of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be morbid here, but there were a lot of deaths. Not only in the Battle of Hogwarts, but in that second Wizarding War. Right. Including people that you'd probably want to hire as Ors because that's who Voldy targeted in the second Wizarding War. Who are you hiring to, like, man Azkaban? But- on top of being your... Department of Law Enforcement. You can hire more people. You can train you more people. You gotta be people. good. You can't well, just yeah. be like a dude. You gotta well, be yeah. like trained. But I think that the Wizarding World proved that the mentors were not as foolproof as people thought. They were um, pretty good. Three breakouts in 300 plus years. Kingsley is more like, like with Dumbledore of regardless of who you are, you deserve a second chance and having your mind be lost after your crime and you're being locked up. Like, that's like double jeopardy. It's not right. I don't know that there are some individuals that don't deserve that fate. It's possible there are. Like I, I said, I'm sure there's one, a line somewhere where it's like, oh yeah. One, if not two, <laughs> in this chapter, deserve 
in my opinion, that as much as I love Barty Crouch Jr. as a character, because he is a phenomenal character. I guess my, maybe the Dementors just don't affect them that way. Like, if you capture Voldy, are you putting him in Azkaban? Like, like, come on! Like, what are you do? Like, what are you doing? Here? Well, we can't do that because of the prophecy, Dan. And given by your favorite professor. No, but I'm like, look, he, <laughs> he's done so much, and he has caused so much. Right. Like, are you just gonna like, like, I, I, I understand for those that are probably yelling at me right now <laughs> that Grindelwald was put in Nurmengrad. Sorry if I mispronounced that, but yeah. that prison. Yeah. I get that he was there. But he had been defeated by his, like, his nemesis, his lover, yeah. his, like, everything. And he yeah. had everything taken away from him. His yeah. will to do whatever he was doing was completely taken away. But he didn't have Dementors. And I think ha having everything taken away from him was the punishment that tortures him more than any Dementor would. I, I were like Bellatrix. I really don't think Bellatrix would be as affected by the Dementors as, like... Hagrid is when he went to Azkaban. I agree. And I think Bellatrix should be that other person that I was mentioning about. Oh, who, for like the death penalty? Yeah, does not... She's a problem. I'm she's not, a real problem. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I still don't think Dementors belong at Azkaban. So you'd rather have them just roaming about freely? No. I just... I don't think that... Having them in a collected place like this, from what the Wizarding World was saying, is that it turned literally the fortress, the home, into this place that was like like a, a step into hell. Like the dark magic was just so strong, it was tangible. And if you're putting people... Now, I, I will say this for you. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much of a due process here as far as a defense. What's that? I due know. Process. I will give you that. <laughs> but generally, we're seeing here that most that are going to Azkaban mm -hmm. deserve it. It's not like they're, they stole a loaf of bread and this is a Jean Valjean moment. Like, <laughs> uh, these people tortured, killed... I'm not arguing that they're great people. They took others free will as, away. As we saw, that not it's not a foolproof system. I mean, Black was locked up, and they all thought he took other people's lives away. Well, that's why a, a real trial is deserved. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Let's um, get off of Azkaban. I still want to talk about the uh, Benzies. There's, there's one more thing that I want to bring up about your, your little uh, deep dive. Mm. Um, really quick. Mm. Uh, you noted Eldritch Diggory. I noted Minister Damocles Rowell. Right. He was very... Was the one that converted Azkaban into a prison. Right. Because he was very much, in, after that uh, Statue of Secrecy, was like, this is right. stupid, muggles. So, here's my thing about Rowell, though. That's also a name that we hear later. Mm -hmm. Rowell is the name of one of the Death Eaters. <laughs> so, uh... It's almost like it runs in their family history. That's my point, <laughs> is you have a minister named Raoul, uh -huh. who's notably an anti-muggle sadist, and then you have Aldrich Diggory, who recognizes and becomes horrified at the conditions that these prisoners are being left in. Uh -huh. One goes on to be a Death Eater, and the other one, as far as we can tell... Pretty decent guys. Pretty decent guy. Pretty <laughs> decent family. Yeah. And really quick... I. We have a lot to discuss here, so I'm not <laughs> going to break this down to the level that both of us can. Mm -hmm. But in the Harry Potter series, families 
matter. Family histories matter. Right. Who you are and where you've come from And if you decide matters. to follow that path or not. In a couple of extraordinary cases, we get divergences from family histories. Yep. Uh, Sirius is a big one. And his brother. Uh, Andromeda is another one. Mm -hmm. uh, and you get, you get some, well, Regulus is an interesting case because he doesn't divert and then he diverts. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, so it's like an interesting kind of... Again, we will not get into <laughs> we have too much to talk about all of that. I'm just pointing out that it's very interesting that you literally get two last names from history yeah. that we get in this series. One just happens to be right now. Mm -hmm. um, but just, just an interesting tidbit. And family histories are important, so let's pay attention to them. Another little tiny interesting thing that a thought that struck me with Voldemort and Dumbledore um, when it was Karkaroff talking about how Voldemort keeps his supporters' identities hidden from each other. Yes. I was thinking about that, and I'm like, you know what? Him and Dumbledore are really very similar in terms of keeping their secrets. Obviously, Voldemort is keeping his supporters' identities hidden because he doesn't want people to rat on each other. Dumbledore has quite the history of keeping, you know, secrets from other people in order to ensure that his plans always work, same as Voldemort. And um, it just struck me as like, you know, Harry's strength is really that he doesn't do that, which I'm sure Dumbledore would chalk up to, like, your love for your friends. You always tell Ron and Hermione what's going on. You trust them. You sure. would always tell Sirius what's going on because you trust him. But Voldemort and Dumbledore both are masters of mystery and secrets and lies, and the results are starking. There, there are a lot of, uh, I've used this term a couple of times, but uh, the ends justify the means types mm -hmm. of people. But I, I will go, you mentioned that, um, and we mentioned in the non-spoiler, that Voldy is the only one that knows the identity of all of his Death Eaters. Right. And while that's true, I think... Karkaroff's view of it is a little skewed. He's not as important as he thinks. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think he I don't want to call him He's like second tier Death Eater. Yeah, I wouldn't call him a pawn per se. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he was as clued in as Lucius was. I don't think he was as clued in as Snape was. I don't mm -hmm. think he was as clued in as some of the other some of the other men, guys that were well, mentioned. Even, uh, Dumbledore says at one point, I can't remember where in the series it is. I know it's later in the books where he's like, you know, Voldemort's supporters all tell themselves that they know the real him and that they're the closest to him. And he's like, all of them are fooling themselves. Voldemort doesn't want any friends. He just, he doesn't need any friends. He just wants people to do his bidding. And they've all convinced themselves that they're the ones to do it. Like a good example I could think of here is... Um, like Mulsilver, if, mm -hmm. if you know a guy is, this is very much like the mob. Like you have a guy, <laughs> you have a guy for this imperious curse thing. If you if you have a job or a task as a Death Eater, mm -hmm. and you know an imperious curse might be needed, mm -hmm. go to this guy. He's your guy. Right. So like guys like Mulsilver might be a little bit more widely known as like, I I can get the job done here, and I'm sure. Anna's gonna hate me again, but but guys like uh, guys like Dolohoff or something like or Rosier or something like that might be a little bit more known for like if you need a guy taken care of. Yeah. 
come here and, and we'll take regardless, care of it. Regardless, Voldemort is obviously not be like, hey, everyone, here's my plan. No, 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 no. Of yeah. course, of course. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he wants to be the general and move all of these pieces around. Yeah, I was just struck by the but, comparison yeah. between the two because they are more similar than they'd probably like to admit. I think Dumbledore would admit it. Yeah. I think he admitted that about Grindelwald. Oh, yeah. And I don't yeah. think he sees a whole... I mean, there are differences between... Grindelwald and Voldy, and we've talked a little bit about that, but mm -hmm. I think you're dead on with that there are similarities between them and how Harry differentiates himself from them. Yeah, following that path. Mm -hmm. Which I think Dumbledore also acknowledges. Mm -hmm. Like, You're the better man, yeah. 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 Uh, you're better at this, because yeah, to, to, as much as you hate to say it, and it's a little bit of a cliche now, because a lot of movies have used it, but to really win wars like this... Mm -hmm. The clean way to do it doesn't get the job done. Mm -hmm. As much as people would love to think it does, you kind of have to get your hands dirty a little bit. And Dumbledore has his hands dirty yeah. in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But he ultimately ends up winning, so I mean... <laughs> so take that, Voldemort. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, you wanted to talk more about the Pensieve. What, what oh, is your great God. love about the I, Pensieve? Oh, I love the Pensieve so much. I have wanted one ever since I first read about this. And probably part of the appeal was when I first read about it, I was an angsty teenager and I had a what? lot of... I had so many emotions, Dan. <laughs> Not the I emotional range of a teaspoon. I had so many emotions. And I, I, I remember tons of times where I would just feel overwhelmed with all the thoughts. And I, to her, to her very, very great credit, okay, Jen, who has been on the podcast before, is my best friend. What? You were friends? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we have been best friends since high school. And her and I, she's like my human pensive, like... The two huh. of us, we overanalyze every situation, usually when it comes to, you know, men we are crushing on or whatever. But we we would we would go into every little detail. And I loved that because it helped me process and really think outside of my emotions about any situation that I was in because I'm a very emotional person and I have to like take a step back from that. So I feel like the pensive would really help me like put myself from an outside perspective of me and observe the memory a second time and think like, okay, now that the emotion's been separated, what is actually going on here? Was that comment that was made that I reacted to really deserving of that reaction or like did that glance really mean what I thought it would have meant like that kind of stuff um but also just like the the magic of the the item just it fascinates me like you can see your memories but you can also see other people's memories that's really cool to put yourself into somebody else's shoes and see what they went through um it also seems to record memories perfectly which I remember you and uh, Molly, Molly, when yeah. you guys first talked about in the diary, how Molly mentioned how when you remember your memories, you're not remembering the actual memory or mm. remembering yeah. the last time you remembered that memory. But the Pensieve wouldn't do that. The Pensieve would have your memories perfectly captured and not just your memories, but it also seems like the people around you, the conversations that you didn't necessarily hear. Like when Harry goes into Snape's worst memory and he hears the conversation between the Marauders 
I mean, Snape was present, but he wasn't close enough to hear the two of them chatting about, oh, there's Snivellus. Let's go mess with him. So it's it, like it it makes me wonder, like, to what extent could you examine all the things around you in a memory and, and what kind of eavesdropping could you do to, you know, get more of the conversation captured? And then, like we see with Slughorn, memories can be tampered with, um, which is really fascinating to me because, you know, if you can tamper with memories and see that it's clouded, I, it makes me wonder, like, if you were to try to get memories from someone who's had amnesia or, like, a memory charm done on them, like, what would that look like in the Pensieve? Um, so there's just, like, oh, my God. It's just, it's so cool. I want one. All right. Oh, I also have more to say, but I'll give you a chance uh, to talk You've said a lot. <laughs> so let me try to catch up on you here uh, with a couple of my thoughts. Yeah. Let's see if I can remember Speaking of Molly's conversation yeah. uh, that we had, that was in the, uh, the chapter, The Very Secret Diary in Chamber of Secrets, yeah. all the way back then. And we'd kind of gotten into the spoiler section of that chapter talking about memories mm -hmm. and how that all works. And I think some of our more interesting conversations were around altered memories, specifically relating to Slughorn. Because right. he altered his memory, but also was able to retrieve the, the, real memory. the real memory. Yeah, it's like forcing yourself to remember something that didn't happen. And pull that from your brain, which he noted was cloudy instead of like the right. the white, clear, so, sparkly stuff that they got. And you also mentioned about how you can also pick up like other conversations happening that you weren't necessarily paying attention to. That's not mm -hmm. the core point of the memory. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that. And the brain is really weird. Mm -hmm. the, the brain is a super powerful thing. That does a lot of things without you being aware of it. Right. So Because you'd go insane if you recognized all the things that you... Sure. There, yeah. That's a lot of input. Yeah. And your brain siphons out what's important to you right then and then just kind of like shuffs off the rest. Mm -hmm. So in this particular scenario, part of this magic might be like tapping into the subconscious a mm -hmm. little bit. And being like, no, 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 no. Here's everything that was happening. You, you'd go insane if you were to try to focus on every detail of it. Speaking of going insane, though, going back to the Pensieve and how much I love it. So I have mentioned repeatedly on this podcast how much um, these magical items remind me of the show Black Mirror. Which, if you don't remember because you haven't maybe heard me talk about it before, it's a show on Netflix where they take this technology that can be applied in a positive and a negative way. And the Pensieve reminds me of that so much because, like, there are pros and cons of it. The pros, like, you can better examine what actually did happen versus maybe what you're misremembering or you imagined to have happened. Um, like Dumbledore was saying, it can make connections for you between different memories that you might have. It can clear your head. It forces you to like critically observe your, ob your actions and maybe think like, okay, did I react properly? Which could be like a, a huge therapy tool to identify those patterns of your behavior or how other people interact with you. Like that could be so helpful. But at the same time, we also do see evidence of it being really dangerous. Like I could totally see people reliving memories with their loved ones who have maybe passed away just over and over. Kind of like how when Harry got, you know, sucked into the mirror of Erised of just seeing his parents. Like if he could pull out the memories of being with his parents, I could totally see him just 
going back into that childhood over and over and over again or like not being able to move on from a loved one like we see that with Snape like he he pulls his various memories of Lily and he pulls his memories of being bullied and he hides from them he stores them away granted in part because he doesn't want Harry to see them but I also think that Snape just doesn't want to process this stuff again therapy would be really really helpful um, but I could, I could see people going down this just dark rabbit hole of, of like, these are memories that I want to look at again and again and again and again and again, and you just get stuck I'd, in it. I'd go a step further and be like, there's a potential for, like, you just said Snape's not processing by not going back into his memories. Mm-hmm. You can not process by taking that memory out. Right. And throwing it away. Like, which movie was one of the Fantastic Beasts? Which one was it when they destroy their memory? Grindelwald takes his memories as like I think that's goodbye. A, I think that's the secrets of Dumbledore. Yeah. You can take them out. Part of the reason for a pensive is to uncloud your mind, right? right? You're taking out these excess thoughts so you can think a little bit more clearly. Right. What if you don't put those thoughts back? Yeah. Then yeah. you're not processing those either. Yeah. So things and like... you can't grow from your life experiences if you don't experience them. Right. Yeah. So you're escaping that reality in a different way, which yeah. isn't good either. Yeah. It's a dangerous object. I, I just want one. What, what do you think in the terms of... Because part of your note earlier was like, had memory charms done like Obliviate mm-hmm. or suffer from amnesia like maybe a Lockhart. Yeah. Or, um, or the Longbottoms. Yeah. Now, the the issue... Lockhart's an interesting case because that was Obliviate specifically. So does the mind still have that subconscious in there? That's what I'm wondering. Because if, if, if there was a part... Like, we know Dumbledore said he was able to extract memories from various people in book six so that Harry can, you know, see it. And he said some of these memories he was very, very lucky to be able to get. And we've heard before of powerful wizards being able to break, like memory charms and stuff so i imagine deep deep down in the brain which is probably something they just they you know study in the department of mysteries um but imagine deep in your subconscious there's still something so i wonder if you did take somebody's memories from them stuck it in the pensive and then stuck them in the pensive with their memories would they then be able to relearn their past or their self? So or? here's what I'm thinking. In the, in the terms of Lockhart and the Longbottoms, even though they're drastically different ways of right. losing their memory right. or their their, mind. their identities, yeah. uh, I think at least it's, it's implied that their minds are too far damaged to pull it to recover yeah, anything. Uh, and like I said, the mind is a very powerful, very complex thing. Mm-hmm. If it's damaged, uh, that has a lot of effects. I also imagine, maybe this is just me, but I feel like the pensive is old, old magic and a very rare item. Oh, I d- so, agree it's a rare item. So yeah. I can't imagine that... Like St. Mungo's or anybody has one readily to experiment, that kind of thing. And I think Dumbledore is wise enough to use it properly. I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't use it properly, which is probably why it's not on the market. 
much as I want one. Gosh darn it. That and a time turner. If I had a time turner, I could get through my grading so much faster. So you want these objects <laughs> that can be useful, but can also be terribly, terribly dangerous. Yes, but I would use them properly. So you think, and that's where the Black Mirror episodes come in. <laughs> And you end up using them and abusing them in hey, two if, different ways. If they want to invent, I, I'll if if they come up with a self grading quill, I will take that over the time turner. Everybody but... in Black Mirror episodes thinks they're doing the right thing, and then suddenly they die somehow, and you're like, <laughs> why? Some some virtual Dan loves the show Black Mirror. Some virtual gopher tell. ends up killing you, and then you're like, what happened? Anyway, well, we'll end on Elizabeth's laugh. Do you, do you have anything else that you really want to go the over? The one other tiny little thing is that poor Harry is going to be having his own memory in this, you know, jury room very, very, very soon. Within literal months when, you know, Umbridge sends the Dementors after him in book five. So look forward to that. Well, little tiny piece of foreshadowing. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, really cool chapter. Uh, I actually really loved reading this chapter for a bunch of different reasons. Obviously, there's the 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 non-spoilery stuff of just the names and the expansion of this world suddenly and aggressively. Yeah. But just like we've discussed here in the spoiler section, there's so much more to delve into that's fascinating. Hmm. So I, I really, really enjoyed this chapter. Much unlike chapter two of this book, The Scar, which is awful. <laughs> So, You're still going on about that. I'm just speaking <laughs> facts. Anyway, we are going to leave you with that. Uh, we are going to be back with kind of a big chapter. Yeah. Uh, the but... third task. So the third task is coming, like Dumbledore told us. Good, Good luck. luck. Reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment. Leave us a like. Leave us a review on Spotify. If you listen to us on Spotify, that all helps us do our thing and get our podcast to more and more people. So help us out. With that, we'll see you on the third task next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.